0: Hey everyone, welcome to the show. This week's episode is brought to you by Daisy Mae Hat Co., the custom hat company based in Nashville, Tennessee. They make custom one-of-a-kind hats from wide-brimmed fedoras to cowboy hats. All of their hats are 100% beaver felt, and it's the highest quality hat you can get. They also have the coolest shirts ever. You can use the code BRASS at checkout for 15% off your entire order. Go and check out daisymayhats.com. Embrace the fever. Live the dream. Brought to you by Combat Flip Flops. Bad for running and even worse for fighting. Combat flip-flops are your ticket to the unarmed forces by providing you with military-inspired quality footwear for men and women. To help support the podcast and in support of women in developing countries, head over to combatflipflops.com and become a part of their unarmed forces today. Be sure to use the code UNITY at checkout and get 25% off. And brought to you by GFDA. Good fucking design advice. The voice in your head and the foot up your ass. GFDA makes prints, drinkware, and apparel for people who want to do their fucking best. Go and use the code Unity and get ten percent off now on anything on their site, including our collaborative product. Fucking help somebody. So you were saying both of you before you before we started abruptly recording was that you guys were doing a bunch of podcasts before um, last week and, and whatnot? Which ones were you doing?
1: Uh, who did we do? Uh, Chris with Vet Rep Theater. I was just on Behind the Shield with the Gearing. And then, uh, Keith, I think you were right on that the Entrepreneur or Vet, what was it? Yeah, we had a disconnect there. I don't know who who's being heard and who's not. Because uh, no, I, I just okay. started talking about Vet Rep. But yeah, yeah, he, he was on uh, Behind the Shield with James Gearing. Uh, I did uh, Chris with uh, Vet Rep Theater, um, who's doing some really cool stuff, but has a really cool podcast going too. Um, Tony Nash's podcast, uh, Got Your six um oh, nice. so yeah like i said they usually happen in clusters so
0: that's awesome i'm really yeah. glad so if, if you haven't caught on yet which you should have because you've all have, you've, you've repetitively asked me is keith and tyler from dead reckoning you guys you guys are sweeping the the veteran nation in a, in a real way in a in a way that in my personal opinion, it shows a lot of grown men that look like you, that it is totally fucking cool to have feelings, put them on paper, move through them emotionally. And you've created a community that's really, really unique. So thanks for coming on guys.
1: For sure. Thanks for for having having us. us.
0: Oh, this is gonna be fun. Oh, this is gonna be good. I got two mustaches. Well, if you're not watching, you're doing yourself a disservice. I've got a I've just got a full mustache and then I've got a beard mustache. So you can tell these guys were military. No one's no one's joking around here. You guys are serious about the facial hair.
1: What's I waited that? several years before I got like after I got out to uh, to grow a beard. So I, I feel I feel okay about where I'm at right now.
2: Yeah. So like Keith, he grows at least a decent beard pretty quickly. Mine, it took it takes forever and I, as soon as i'm able to grow a beard if i'm on leave or anything it immediately comes but it takes about a month to come in the mustache it still looks usually... like kid rock <laughs> yeah I, i've definitely got the joe dirt <laughs> comments before within that growing phase but once it's there it's there and usually the mustache doesn't come until after the beard has come and i'm able to shave it so it at least looks decent because the mustache is growing uh it's not a very good sight <laughs>
0: No, it's an interesting look. I love when people just grow just mustaches. It makes me, I there's something there's something about it. It just reminds me of like 1980s dad, and i was here for it. And I know Logan did it like a couple of weeks ago, and I said, "What did you do to your face?"
1: Yeah, you. What? I mean, it's it, your childhood is raw. Like it, you got a raw deal. If your dad didn't grow an awkward mustache or a great one, like whatever, your your childhood is. I, I'm so sorry. Like you know come. Let me hug you. Yeah, I
0: know. Let me hug you. You've been left out of society's greatest <laughs> yeah. like achievements. Has been the handlebar mustache and just the the straight mustache. You need yeah. you need to remember moments when you were chased with a belt with the mustache. It happens. It's real. It's traumatic, but you remember it and that mustache. So now every time I look at you, now it's over. It has nothing for you. to do
1: with the mustache. It's probably a lot more of the belt. <laughs>
0: um nah no he's never fast enough to catch me but it's crazy.
1: universal too right like good dads bad dads you know like deadbeat dads like every, the mustache it carries around yeah oh, and I'm, I'm, as,
2: I'm as dead as it gets like no shame about it <laughs> <laughs> so it, it just like had to, it just had to happen eventually
0: that's okay and you know what i love i love the i love the love and commitment it takes to do True. that to your face
2: for yeah. sure. When I when I yes. don't have it, they're like, hey, where'd it go? Where'd it go?
0: Yeah. I cause yeah. I can remember when my dad shaved his off once. I was like, um, it was concerning. I actually the first time he did it, my my mother actually reminded me. She's like, You cried. You and your brother cried because he looked so different.
2: No, they get upset. They get yep. upset when I don't have it.
0: I know. I don't know how I got on that tangent, but I apologize in advance. Um, facial hair is amazing. It's just interesting concepts, the way that we are running <laughs> yes. in society right now and the attachments we all have to hair. Um, so it's really great to have you guys on. Like I was saying, um, I know of you through the publishing world as probably so many do, so many vets. And if you're not a vet listening, you should know of these guys. They've you know, they've put out some incredible content that's not only been heartwarming and touching and life-changing, but it's, it's changed the lives of those that are writing and that they're working with. So I don't know if you guys want to take it from there and let us know how you kind of got into where you're at and why you're doing what you're doing would be a great start
1: yeah um so tyler and i met uh (laughs) in maybe 2012 yeah that Um, sounds about right we were both stationed in italy uh i was an mp there and tyler was in the 173rd um but we we met kind of by chance um and because we had mutual friends and um we really like didn't hang out a lot. Uh, we hung out maybe a couple times before he deployed uh, on the 173rd's last deployment to Afghanistan. And then um, when he got hurt, he came back early uh, and we, we hung out once um, and then just kind of kept in touch uh, via Facebook or email or whatever um, after he had gotten home and after I'd gotten home. And uh, he pitched me some writing when I had a uh, voice interest in like starting a blog. And that's really how Dead Reckoning started was a blog. Um, we just wanted to give veterans a voice. There was a lot going on in the world at the time. This was like, by the time we got out, it was like 2014, 2015. Um, and we, there was a lot going on in the world and there were, I I saw a lot of my friends voicing opinions on like Facebook in their statuses. And I'm like, you know, we've all seen like social media platforms come and go. So eventually that stuff's going to go away. And they're also not doing their own words justice by like, not, you know, having somebody revise them before they throw them out into the world where they could be that much better. Um, so we saw a need for, uh, for a platform, but also, Um, Didn't, you know, weren't exactly sure what we wanted to do that for. So we knew we wanted to kind of give uh, our own spin on the veteran narrative um, and show positive stories, um, you know, just average stories too, instead of just the sensationalized shit, um, you know, regarding mental health and transition and stuff like that. Um, that slowly turned into, uh, publishing books. Um, you know, we, we talked to enough people that we saw a need for that. We saw, we met a lot of people who had a knack for writing, um, a natural knack, whether they knew it or not, or people who had been at it for a while and had, had other things published. And we just saw a gap in, uh, the publishing industry and the literary industry for veterans specifically. So, um, that brought us to Dead Reckoning where we, we work exclusively with veteran authors.
2: Yep.
0: like you're gonna jump in there mustache in
1: that shell yeah usually i'll let tyler
2: yeah like you said we do all these podcasts and sometimes i take it he takes it so we kind of have to kind of have to feel that out see see what's gonna happen but that's exactly how it started it was through through a post on facebook and uh like keith kind of alluded to is after i got hurt uh i was processing a lot and what better way to process that than to to try to write it down and i wrote written poetry kind of just on my own really starting off as Rap lyrics with my buddies uh, back in high school and stuff. God, oh, I love that lyrics, coming so. from you. Mom's spaghetti. Yep. I know. Yeah, I know. People don't don't imagine it at all, so it's pretty funny. I definitely know how to kind of play this image pretty well. So yeah, I can see that. It, it, uh, <laughs> it's it's worked out
1: to my advantage. But one it, of my uh, favorite pastimes is making fun of how perfect Tyler is with his <laughs> with his wife.
0: I mean, you have to. That's yeah. the point.
1: Yeah, I, I get it a lot,
2: so it's all good, and I, I, I just <laughs> take it. So that's, that's how it's really, that's how my writing journey kind of started was honestly just writing little raps and poems and just, when I say raps, they were very deep and very like intellectual and very emotional. And my friends are like, what are you doing, dude? Like we're talking about like a lot of other things right now. And I'm like, I just got a lot, a lot going on in here, you know? And so when Keith kind of gave me this outlet for the first article, which was about uh, coming back from Afghanistan before I thought I was ready because I was hurt. Uh it also kind of transcended other guys who came back before they were ready because they felt like the mission wasn't done in Afghanistan because the war was still going on. So it kind of transcended and it kind of went mini-viral within the community. And so we realized that we were kind of onto something. And we realized that's what writing offers is I write it through my lens, you read it through yours, and it speaks to whatever uh is going on in your life. And that's kind of where we meet in the middle. And so the goal is to always to bridge that gap um, specifically within the military and the, the civilian kind of divide. While we focus on veterans, uh, we kind of reside in this little echo chamber uh, talking amongst each other, and it kind of becomes our own little clique and everything. And so how do we speak to people who don't understand our language? And that was what we were trying to do is uh, give people the best resources to articulate their thoughts and emotions so others can understand them. Uh, because anybody can understand the root of what we've gone through through the experience, whether that's love, loss, uh, grief, uh, trauma, excitement, um, all, all that stuff. And then they're able to, again, like read it through their lens. And so that, that's always been the goal because we saw the culture kind of residing in these two spectrums placed up on a pedestal, the special, like the special operations community, which most of us could have gone if that was like our direct focus or down kind of in the gutter. Uh, if we kind of gave up on life and proceed with this PTSD kind of thing right now, most of us are here in the middle. Uh, and how do how do we kind of show this relation with one another?
0: It's really interesting to hear you speak. Um, sorry, I'm just taking notes there because you said some really, really important things there. I think you need to you know, we need to take a second with um, When you you said something that it clicked with me. And so that's why I'm kind of at a loss of words, which doesn't happen very often. If you know me, um, you said something that hit me really hard as you can tell. And it was that, um, you left before the mission was over and that was something that happened with me. And, uh, I really struggled with those emotions and how to process that emotion and what that looks like and why I was even feeling that. And like, you know, you should be happy. You're done. You're all like, you did your thing, you're done. And yet, and somehow, in some way, I spent like five years afterwards saying like, I'm still there. Like a part of me is still there. Like I can't move on because a big part of me is still there. And that's just wild to me because to hear you articulate it that way is not something that I hear very often. And I don't don't hear others who are not so introspective speak of because that's something that you have to sit with and really delve in to figure out why you feel that way. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Can I ask you something personal?
1: absolutely!
0: Um, like, cause I'll get weird here. Like, do you, have you ever experienced psychedelics or is that something you've ever dabbled in?
2: Uh,
0: cool. So, I mean, you've, the reason I say I bring these things up and you don't have to answer that. I told you I was going to put you on the spot, but the reason I bring those things up is because the way you, you, both of you speak of things, you, you both seem to have experienced it. Uh, I know it's hard to, it's hard to understand what I'm saying for the listeners, but I guess what I'm trying to say is somebody that's really, there is no ego attached to them whatsoever. There's no sort of even little shroud of it. Like there's, there's nothing. And you are, you both seem very able to talk about your emotions and, in, in writing in a way that somebody who has experienced it has experienced it. I'm just saying well, that. I just, well, so
2: whenever, whenever I got hurt, like I, I, I experienced death like up close and personal, and I I almost died myself and everything. And that's the psychedelic experience right there in itself. Because I transcended outside of time and space where numerical value no longer dictated my reality. It was how I was involved in that moment and how I was prepared for it, uh, what God was going to help me through or take me away from, uh, whether death was going to take me or not. And so when you're involved in a moment that you're outside of your, your mind and your body, because in that moment I absolutely was, you, you, your ego is gone because you realize how fragile life is and then also how interconnected we are. And so when I witnessed my, my friend die, it, it, again, like he was the most, or I, I haven't talked on this, but he was the most prepared individual out of all of us. The guys that survived were just mishaps that ended up in Afghanistan together and so you saw all these walks of life end up in this one moment and the one who you think would be like victorious through it was the one who was taken away. And right. So when you try to process that and then and I got a microcosm level and then you blow it up into the GWAT, uh, and how many people died. And then you look at the other side because the next day my platoon went and killed 20 Taliban soldiers who and, and messed with us, but we were in their homeland and stuff. So A lot of things start connecting. And so uh, what writing allowed me to do was to literally dissect that one moment for the past 10 years, (laughs) because that's what it's been almost 10 years now. And that's what I've been writing about for almost 10 years is how I have Mm -hmm. processed that moment. And through poetry, through the memoir that I'm working on, through little essays, it all revolves around this one moment, and then also moments within the birth of my kids, uh, my marriage to my wife, and so these pivotal moments in your life happen that change you, and and I assume psychedelics are like that as well, you know, and so it, it, you, when you realize that you're part of something larger than yourself, it's very eye-opening.
0: you don't just, you don't just realize it because, uh, people who say, oh, I realize it. You can tell if somebody knows what that means and and the way you speak of it, when you do truly realize it, it, it plays a big part in your life and the way you look at your past and what you've done and all of those things, it brings a lot of different feelings up with those things that you maybe did or didn't want to do, but still did. Like it's a, it's a really, it's a really, uh, interesting parallel to hear you speak about it because you know a lot of individuals might not have ever you know the worst day is the worst day they've ever had and so you can't fault them for never experiencing something to you know the extent in which you have but there's still something common there and there's something unifying there and in that we we all go through difficult things and they affect us all in a different way but they can also always connect us as well if we allow it to happen
2: oh absolutely i've told keith this and. I've written about it and he's read it is the worst moment of my life was also the best moment of my life in a way, because it has yeah. made me who I am. I, will, I have so much more confidence in almost anything that I do now, because I know what rock bottom is like, that mm. so no other experience will pull me down that low. Well, I could think of some other ones, but I'm hoping I never have to face those. And right. so, uh, but it, it allows me to just kind of attack life a little, a little more fearlessly.
0: And it shows. And then there's Keith over there who's like, you know,
1: well, life. you know, it's funny that like when, when you talked about the parallels and stuff, because like, I think you guys in Canada also experienced it on so, so much larger a scale because Canada pulled out of Afghanistan in what, like 2011, like
0: super irritating,
1: how many, how many people probably felt the same thing that you're just des- describing, like on a, you know, on that level, yep. um, to have the war go on for another decade after your country left, you know, that's like, that's hard.
0: Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just, and you know, it was really, really interesting. It's funny that you bring up that correlation. Cause I guess I never thought of it that way because frankly, the majority of the time and kind of what I do, it's involves American and British, you know, Australian, it, Canada is, is a weird duck. We don't, we don't, it's- Commemorate. We don't. I mean, we do once a year, and um, but we don't really have massive veteran groups that hang out. We're starting to see some on the East Coast, but because we're so spread out and our bases are few and far between, yeah. and the overlap, it's it, there's not that much of a community as I would like to see, um, and so you get these pockets of vets here and here and here and here who kind of stick in their little thing. And again, we're starting to slowly see with like tactical collective, uh, was it tactical, official tactical, and then, you know, the Northern Patriot. And there's some, there's some groups that you really are starting to see click together, which is a beautiful thing. But with vets for us, I mean, more than anything, I've just heard from, from the individuals that I interact with, you know, one of the things that pissed them off is, yeah, it's the, the way we left, the fact that we left it all, how we left. And then when the pullout happened, that shook everyone again because we had been out for so long and we hadn't experienced, you know, sending rotational deployments. We had some people constantly deploying, but that was tier one or, you know, mm-hmm. whatever it may be. It wasn't the general population, but what you saw was.
1: Or the reserve, uh, like, like you yeah. guys don't utilize your reserve like we do. We are, no, well, I have friends in the reserves in, in the U S that deployed more than I did and have done like more, more than I could in five years because like we just utilized them differently, but you guys, well, to- we don't
0: have a lot of them either. Right. right. We, we just don't, I'll tell you though, the unit that I ripped out when I pulled in was mm-hmm. a reserve unit. It was a reserve artillery unit, um, which was that sentence makes no sense to me because you just shoot M triple sevens on the weekend. Like, what's up homie? How are you it practicing sounds like this a
1: great way to spend a weekend?
0: I mean, it does, but if I would want to be doing that every day, all day, if that was going to be my profession, which it was. So, I mean, that's why I say that, but we ripped out a a reserve unit and, and we, we were with an American, we were on FOB Ramrod. So we were with an American unit and it was, we were the only Canadians that went that year or that rotation that were with Americans. Mm -hmm. And so it was a different dynamic. It's a completely different thing when you're on a Canadian base versus an American base, the way you guys talk, your lingo, how you walk, your whole lifestyle is like a we have our stuff. We got some stuff, but I mean, we're not, you guys are like, oh, you guys are in it. And so when we pulled out the way we pulled out, and then when we stood down units who were willing to go and pull Canadians, and then it took civilians sitting in their houses to try and get people out of Canada because our prime minister said, fuck it. We're not sending anyone. Instead, we're doing a snap election. You know? Yeah. It makes people angry. And then they have the nerve to yeah. call veterans on the phone and say, Hey, Hey, we would like you to come on a panel on CBC to talk about how angry you probably are.
1: you fucking
0: gaslighting me. What is wrong with you?
1: For Canada, I think the general public, not, not only the government, but like the general public, there's there's a pretty pretty big um, disconnect between veterans and the general public. Um and the, yeah, military think? And the general public. Um, you know, that could be, like, if you want a great example, like, the the unveiling of the Afghan Veterans Memorial, um, where not a single Afghan veteran from Canadian involvement was invited. It was all diplomats and politicians and, like, Makes sense. you know, no, no one with any kind of direct involvement. Like, that's a disconnect. That's, yeah. like, no one thought that that was inappropriate. No one thought that that was in bad taste. No one thought that that actually, like, defeated the purpose of a memorial. Well, um, we
0: had a similar thing at Remembrance Day a couple of years ago. I, yeah. I literally stopped going because I was fucking livid. The Legion, which I am publicly not a fan of, the Legion went ahead and they had another. It was like an older lady was doing the Afghan wreath laying. And where I live, BC is like stupid expensive. And if you're on a pension, like you're not living here, you're living on the island. And so we were here and they're like, yeah, they're going to. Someone from like the the general public is going to lay it, and I was like, "Hi, can I lay it?" They're like, "Well, wh- where did you serve?" And I said, "Afghanistan." They're like, "Oh yeah, you're the only one that's here." I'm like, "What?" Yeah. Why? It's we were just as involved. Yeah. We were we were super fucking involved. We were super duper involved with you I guys. Think it was
1: it was also from what I understand, like from my time there, um, it's it's that like. Afghanistan was very much like Vietnam for Canada, where like for like for us, like the way that we treated Vietnam veterans is the way that that Canada treats Afghanistan veterans. and yeah, that it awesome. was a very, it was an unpopular conflict among the public, among government officials. Um, like the way the way that Harper handled everything, um, it's it was like very much like Vietnam in that it was so unpopular that people kind of just turned their head to it. So. And that's where the disconnect is. And so like, what do we do? We can bitch about it. We can, we can say like, all these guys are all pieces of shit, or we can start organizing stuff on our own and we can start well, building up our own shit.
0: And that's what's happened is you're seeing people who don't want to yeah. bitch about it and just start, start doing something. And I think it's okay to, I think it's one thing, I think it's okay to acknowledge that there was a massive issue in canada with it like Mm -hmm. for you maybe not like for me it's super fucking okay it's it's a problem it's unacceptable it's still an issue and i think the reason i i I know it sounds like i'm being negative but i i'm not trying to i it needs to be spoken about this way as you all know what's going on in my current country and down the street from my home this is happening like we need to acknowledge the problems and the disconnect that there has been with the military and the first responders and so i don't mean to come off negative and preachy there Mm. i just get super frustrated
1: being pissed off is how is how we do things that's why like i love seeing what you guys are doing i love seeing uh, my friend john with uh tactical connect battle group
0: yeah john uh, yeah. that's who i was talking about yeah little guy when i mustache. was saying tactical guy. Yeah, yeah mustache bro yeah he's yeah. sweet i love him he's a sweetheart i
1: think he's got a beard now he's a grown-up man but he's um, trying um, but when i met him he was a child um yes. so uh he'll always be that little boy to me but but i mean like i love i love seeing that community like because you're right like in, in Canada, like see, like there isn't as much of its pockets it's, and they're here and there. And you find the same kind of thing in the States. Like obviously most of the places that you go in Texas with a higher concentration, you'll find New York also has a really high concentration of veterans. But like, if you go to like certain areas of the Midwest, maybe you don't have a community immediately, or maybe even right. if you're in Texas and you're surrounded by veterans, you don't know where to go um mm-hmm. or or you find one place and it's not the right place maybe the vfw isn't the place for you maybe dollar beers and wearing a fucking weird hat on the weekend isn't isn't gonna do what you need it to do um like but but the the point is like mm. having an abundance of those things and finding your thing and finding your community and maybe your community isn't veterans maybe like you know maybe you find a a niche somewhere else maybe you find like the ability to do service in other areas um well, they People are
0: doing it in every other area. I mean, look at like, for example, like I know a ton of individuals who are heavily involved in the veteran community that are not veterans that just they're involved from a business level and in a business standpoint, like Gage, for example, Daisy made the, he's involved. He was a, a, you know, a screamo singer for like a legit band for a long time. And he's like, fuck, I'm a Macats hang out with vets. And I'm like, do it. You're great. I mean, but we welcome all and other, well, other people will welcome you too, but it's, it's like the the vet community introducing people into hunting. They may never have been to hunting and they may never stay with the vet side of it, but they might move into hunting and bow hunting and those types of things. There's a ton of other spinoffs that it seems like the veteran community has really, has really I don't say started or kickstarted or kind of put out into the atmosphere that may not have been there before like there were for the other wars. So mm. that's why I like you guys so much, though, is because I'm... Me too. I'm yeah, I mean, yeah. you're pretty you're like I'm all right <laughs> some days. But it's the mental health aspect that really goes into what you guys do. Um, I've been a big proponent of mental health for a long time and different types of modalities for that, um, not just psychedelics, but also writing. Um, writing is a big one because I believe in journaling because I know how effective it is. You know what I, I say it all the time. It's like, when you want to get it out, you write it down. When you want to learn, you read it's that whole idea of just circulating thought and getting something off your chest. And I think that's why you guys really speak to me, but for, for both of you in the positions you're in now, do you ever have a hard time when you're getting, um, when you get submissions or rereading people's experiences and constantly being immersed in something that may be wrapped around somebody's worst days.
1: Is it difficult? Yes, for sure. I think probably one of the most emotionally charged things that I've ever read that, that really like jolted me was the exact experience that Tyler was talking about. Um, you know, when, when you are, um, writing about that worst day, like that it is difficult to read. Um, we also have to like put on different hats and different, different glasses from time to time too. Um, in, you know, I can take a single glance at something and be like, yeah, this is something we want to work with. But then when we start actually working with it, after we've passed that point, then I have to go at it from the editorial eye. And I think that's where it's better that we are working with some, some veteran writers, um, than others, because we know, that there's a certain delicacy that needs to be, um, you know, thrown at that. Yeah. Um, and that's what we, we've learned throughout time
2: and everything. And I kind of want to go back to what you're yeah, talking about earlier in, in a second, but I'll, I'll answer this first. Uh, talking about kind of veterans making hunting cool. In, in my mind, I think what, what makes a school is making writing cool and reading cool. Again, you know, exactly. I think the veteran community itself is just a, a conduit of what's happening in a way like, like it's just whatever they're kind of doing people who just gravitate towards but your language they, is
0: much more descriptive and, and and articulate than mine so just bear <laughs> well, with no,
2: but me that, that's exactly what it is <laughs> and, and it the is exposure
1: the to like other literary avenues too like you don't just have to read yeah. like military autobiographies yeah like i think and, and you know we we all did that for some time um but like it being able to introduce like non-veteran non-military centric literature to um, like hard-charging grunts is probably one of the most rewarding experiences we've had it, out of this whole thing. It, it absolutely is. But
2: also to kind of talking about uh, kind of walking this fine line of uh, reading people's most difficult times, and you talk about it more on like the mental health side, what I realized as, as being new to writing when I sent my first piece to, to Keith was usually your first draft in something is a therapy session. It is something mm. for you just to vomit on the page to just get something out. And it it is very emotional and very raw and and very personable. And when you submit that to a publishing company or editors, people who now understand the craft of writing and understand storytelling that much more and to critique somebody's nonfiction writing, because that's what it is to us. It's not that that story or your, your, your attachment to it anymore. It is a piece of writing. And that's how we're looking at it now. And so there is a, a balance that we have to uh, approach those at, Of, okay, this is a very personal moment in their life where they experienced a lot of trauma and the writing is almost there. How do we give the feedback to them to get it to that next level? And what we've had to learn is we're, we're teaching, like uh, Keith always calls them, like nose pickers, how to, how to read booger, and write poetry. Eaters. Yeah, booger eaters. Window lickers. Yeah, yes. whatever, windows, like all that stuff, we're, we're, we're exposing them to, to poetry and, and, and literature as a whole. and We include ourselves in that. Yeah, oh, yeah of course you do. <laughs> absolutely. You're and giving
0: culture, though. You're, you're educating them is what you're doing,
2: right? Absolutely. And so now we're trying to tell them, hey, this is what writing can look like that much more. Yours is almost there, uh, but it does have to kind of be handled with, with, some, with, some, uh, with some care
0: yeah and I can appreciate that I mean i I did a mine's not out yet, but I've submitted things to people and I've been through the process of them being like that's all you got and me being like that was the worst moment of my <laughs> entire human existence. what are you saying to me but yeah. i I can I can appreciate it now from a business sense having a having being on the other side I'm not a you know I can't edit to save my life, but I can understand when you're talking to someone about their work their their vulnerability and you're critiquing it.
2: So like an easy example is I just, I'm, I'm working on my master's right now. And I was just part of, I was an assistant editor for our literary journal for the university. And we were, when a ton of people submit something to their literary journal, it's called the slush pal. So it's like a hundred short stories and essays. And so you kind of really get like the the pulse of what's being put out right now. And, and like I say, an easy example, but like when you Talk about nonfiction being like the worst moment of your life, like a shock and all value. A lot of women are writing about eating disorders or young men are talking about suicidal ideations or uh, losing their children or losing a grandparent or losing. And so a lot of people write something that has shock and all value and it. And it's usually for them to process very, very dark times. Unfortunately, now me reading a lot of it, I'm mostly desensitized to that or be just desensitized to trauma within the military or something like that. And so to us now on this other side, when we've read so much war poetry and we've read so many uh, traumatic experiences, which they are, I didn't mean really necessarily to air quotes. I know what
0: you're saying. But, but,
2: but you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's like, okay, like I know that sucked. Trust me, I really do. But now let's but, focus on the writing.
0: Yeah. Let's articulate a little more effectively yeah. and then yeah.
1: And we've got to, I mean, we've got to consider the author and the audience too, like, because you'd be a pretty shitty therapist if you, if like a a (laughs) client or a patient like came to you and, and like, you know, like heard out your whole like traumatic experience and they're like, that's it. Like, fuck. (laughs) Like, so we kind of have to take the same approach. Like it's going to hit different. We have to determine like how it's going to hit with an audience, how what the author is actually trying to articulate and, and meet somewhere in the middle as well and kind of put our own opinion of it aside. Um, right. yep. it, it's a, it's a weird eye to, to acquire, but yeah.
0: But it, that's like that in, in any business, right? It, it, anything that is arts based it and being critical of something, you know, that that's a little harder just because it's not like it's an IT problem, you mm-hmm. know, it's not like, well, you ran the wires wrong. You you fucked up. It's, this is like, this is someone's heart and soul. This is a much more emotional attachment. And, and then being that I to critique it and then just say, Hey, we need to do better. I can, I can imagine that must weigh on both of you in some, you know, way, shape or form. How, how do you two deal with that and process that though individually? Because you both seem to have, a good head on your shoulders now, but I do understand that there are, when life is difficult, things still rock the boat.
2: Mm-hmm. For sure. He's a lot better than I am. <laughs>
1: He's way better at giving feedback. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, I'm he just... really good at being an asshole too. Um, He's... But I think we, we divvy up responsibilities pretty yeah. well. Um, and, and if we're uh, not interested in a project or we cannot take a project on um, there's for sure a way of doing that, you know, Um, I think the, the one growing pain that we've had is that because we're a veteran owned publishing company, um, there, we kind of, it's assumed that we're like a nonprofit or a charity. And that if you are a veteran with a manuscript, that it's automatically going to be accepted. Um, that's the
0: assumption that's that's not really,
1: I think the majority, the majority, like we, we've had a lot of people, um, who have submitted where, where that is the, like, it's, it's almost shocking when, um, when it's not accepted. Um, yeah. but we also, I mean, we have different projects for that. Like, um, not every large scale project is going to, um, to be the same. Um, that's kind of the other reason that we do, uh, the poetry anthologies, um, with Warren and after and in love and war. Um, so we're two volumes into that. And, and every time we, we release a new one, uh, it goes to a different like veteran or, uh, veteran nonprofit or charity. Um, and it's all, uh, poetry. So I think the last one had more, um, the first one had about the first one had 36 veterans that contributed to it. And the second one had over 80. Yeah. I don't remember numbers. That's Um, beautiful guys. Yeah. Really, really cool. Um, and it's Ooh, it's it such makes a cool me so happy <laughs> do you do you have a copy yet
0: uh, i don't i don't i was gonna buy one um no no i'll i'll no 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 no
1: if no, canada no. lets it in if canada lets <laughs> yeah. it in
0: i will i don't know we're burning books now so like just give me a minute oh. I'll, i will i will um i will 100 percent uh <laughs> i will get it myself because no i don't i don't know i'll support please let me um but i get excited and I, I have a hard time holding it in i'm a horrible host that way because when I see when I see somebody doing something that's so effective to, to so many people on such a grand scale, and knowing that you putting them in that and publishing their name in that, that might be the biggest thing somebody does their entire existence.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, that was sure. that's a big reason why we started Dead Reckoning <clears throat> is Keith let me put my article on the blog site, and I got that feeling. And, and so we we're like the people this feeling essentially
0: well that that feeling is is incredibly rare to come by and on a on a mass scale the way you do it like that's a really unique and effective way to help individuals at least start their writing careers and get them credits and allow right. their name to grow and i think that gives them a stepping stool um a stepping stool to to then maybe seeing okay i can progress i can get better i can you know that's that's a great way to do it
1: yeah and I mean, maybe they never submit anything again. Maybe they never write anything again, but they did that one cool thing. Um, okay. And not everybody has a full collection of poetry in them. Not everybody has a novel in them. Not everybody has a memoir, um, you know, but, but you, that's, a, that's one small thing that you can accomplish for sure. Um, and it can be a huge thing. Um, it you know, all depends on your perspective, but, um, but it's a really cool thing to like hold one of those books in your hand, like and flip through the table of contents. Um, it's, it's pretty wild
0: it's an experience. I mean, that's for sure. Cause so many people, they half of the time in life, I feel like people's, you know, the real goal is just to be heard and it's Mm -hmm. not, and, and, and that comes from, you know, business too. It's like the, the goal isn't people are, isn't to make money necessarily, but it's to be heard. It's to be acknowledged. It's to be in this world and not another face that's just floating around that lives and dies. It's to be remembered and accepted into something bigger and seeing that and giving that is rare. What is the, what has been the goal for the business side? What is like, what do you want? Do you guys want to be up there with the big five? Like what's the goal here?
1: Um, I think, man, I, I went on a really good rant this morning. I should just record it and pass it in. Come on. Uh, I think like to say that, that we want to be up there with the big five would, uh, would I mean, on a global line. scale. Yeah, and I, I think like it, to to say we want to be up there with the big five wouldn't wouldn't align with our goals. I think like one of the big things is like we want to build up our own shit. You know, I was looking at like the um, like the halftime show, the Super Bowl, and how like a lot of people were like, "Oh man, look look how far rap came." And I'm like, "Yeah, but like also look how rich all those dudes are," and like they they should just be happy with like building up everything that they have on their own, right? In the same way that like. um you know, sometimes you see these, like these musicians, like get on like night shows and stuff and it's, that's cool. But also, you know, what, then what is the, what is the point of a subculture is this, is the point of a subculture just to build like your own identities and then eventually get invited into those upper circles. So, um, so I mean, yeah, like at that level, but I like not necessarily on, on the exact same uh, platforms. Of course, Um, I think I think what we have is different. And I think that our approach Mm -hmm. to everything is different. And I'm super, super proud of that. Um,
0: No, and I would agree that you should be proud of that because you you differentiate yourself, and you also give some legitimacy in a different way. You're not you're not a guy that went to school, sorry, who got his MBA, sorry, and was like, (laughs) "I'm gonna make a million dollars and take ninety percent of somebody's, you know, X, Y, and Z because that's my business model." You guys are doing something bigger. In my opinion, it, it.
2: Oh, our may, opinions too.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think you should. I think that should be the opinion, though. And I think that's something you know society is is starting to wrap its head around is that bigger is like bigger money, larger, larger isn't better. It's just not.
2: Well, so like and, yeah. I, I, an easy example is like I, I'm 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 a firefighter right now, and we have a promotional board coming up right now, and I'm I'm, I'm opting out of the test, and it's because I've seen every guy who's promoted lose part of who they are every time. And it's because they sell out kind of the company man mindset and I am not a company man necessarily. I just never. That have mustache
0: anything. says otherwise.
2: Again, I know how to Thank play you. the image, <laughs> but Keith and I just aren't like that. We just never have been. And so like we see the path that's been taken and we don't like that path. And so we are spearheading our own path. Like, and that, that's we're that's what we're proud of is like, Dead reckoning would not be a thing for without Keith. It would not be a thing without me and like the group and the and the people that are behind us and the people that have been with us since the beginning have been with us since the beginning for a reason, and we haven't lost or made any enemies yet necessarily and like God forbid hopefully we don't you know and so like it's very even though it's business like it is personal like we become friends with these people and mm-hmm. we have legit created a community and are help shaping a community and that's what we're proud of and and the money, like it it will come and, and the nor- notoriety will come. It's because that's also happening at the same time. But we we like the movement. We like the culture. That, that's what I think drives Keith and I. We like the ideas.
0: It's, it's pretty obvious that you guys are, cre- like I said, you're creating something different and special. And that's, again, why so many people read what you guys put out. There's a lot of thought and you can tell there's thought put into it and there's emphasis on it um when you were just like
1: you too like in like we wouldn't if if this became not fun like hang it up like see you later oh oh yeah you know we've always been been of that mindset so when you said that it just it like it was like hearing myself talk like and and that's why i said it's the perfect mindset to have because there's been multiple times keith has needed
2: a break and so i step up or i need a break and then keith steps up or we both need a break and it's just like luckily we created it at the beginning where it could kind of just go on coast for a little bit. Now
1: that it has a lot of momentum, we have to keep up the momentum, but we love it. And so like, we're we trying to run it, it as much like a fire team as we can, where like everybody, we both know each other's jobs. And sometimes like, we're, we're for sure like, you know, better at some things than, than the other. Um, but uh, but we we try to at least like have a general knowledge of of how everything works, so that if you know, if one of us goes down for a little bit, then then we can take care of it,
0: yeah. yeah and so people know what we were talking about. We were just discussing um, right before the show. we were just I just said I just did a podcast before that, and I said I was doing another one with them. And I said, I said, it's just. <sighs> if this becomes not fun anymore i'm just done like i it has to stay fun but you know the things you do on a daily basis have to stay fun and if there's no fun in them then why are you doing them i don't understand
1: mm-hmm. and
0: people say well that's easy for you to say if you're married to someone who has a job and blah, 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 blah. there's always an excuse but i really believe like you truly dictate your life in in every way that you think and every way that you prepare and if it's not fun anymore, if it's not enjoyable, you have such a finite amount of time on this planet. What is the point?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly.
0: So that was the rant we were discussing about how, if it's not fun, I'm just out of here. Um, so if one day I just ghost, it's because I've decided, not not fun anymore, not fun. team. Yeah, and exactly. Knows. And now everyone knows if that's what happens, that or the Canadian government has scooped me up, which <laughs> we all know is a reality. <laughs> so,
2: yeah, which one's um, going to happen first?
0: Well, at this point i mean (laughs) it's it's not gonna be ideal i'll tell you that it's quite concerning
1: we'll send you misprinted books so if they burn them
0: i mean yeah like let's be honest with ourselves it'd be worse than book burning at this point i mean fuck's sakes i don't know if you guys follow the world but (sighs) oh yeah i'm just being a canadian is a real treat right now um i mean if, if i grew a mustache like that i'd fit right in
1: I, you would look great.
0: I would look great. <laughs> yeah. Listen, do you know how many times... I, t- I people- need a
2: hat like that, and then I'll... Well, worried.
0: we're going to have to call Gage and be like, yeah. Gage, Gage, Gage from Daisy Mae Hat Co., you need to make a hat for everybody I, at Dead Reckoning. That's I do happen. have a
2: hat similar to that that Keith always makes fun of me for wearing.
0: You make fun of hats like this? What's when wrong Tyler with wears you? them.
1: Look at it. Only, yeah. only when I wear them, I'm sure. he looks like an extra from Friday Night Lights. Like, he you know, shouldn't... <laughs> not He's not built for that. that oh my
0: shit. God, you're not wrong. <laughs> Keep
1: coming. Keep coming. Oh,
0: Friday Night Lights. Oh man, dude. Now that's all I can see when I look at you.
2: Oh yeah, Keith thinks he's funny. All American, sure.
0: I'm so, oh, so American.
2: Yeah.
0: So American. The only difference is you, right now you need like, um, you need like the American flag behind you, a bottle of whiskey and a cigar and a gun on your hip and says, <laughs> that's what you need. It would fit I'll, right I'll in. I will pull
2: that out of the closet because I, I got it in store. I, to put I know it you to would. Podcast.
0: Yeah, exactly. Because where, where do you live?
2: I, I live in Texas, too. Jesus really. Christ. This <laughs> oh, is amazing. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. Whereabouts in Texas are you?
2: Well, I'm from Austin, but I live in the Dallas area
1: now.
0: Okay. And where, and where are you at?
1: It's fun. I'm in California. I know. For, for why? Well, I just moved out here before Christmas.
0: Oh, okay. I'm a
1: lady but um okay. i'm relating um, yeah <laughs> we 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 definitely like uh new england better uh where mm-hmm. i'm like originally from but uh but we're out here for the time being and i'll take every good part of it that i can still better than canada for sure
0: Fuck yes Everything but i do is like better. dc
1: i like the northwest I, I spent the first three years of my uh my active duty time in Washington, and I really enjoyed that. And I feel like BC is really no different than the state of Washington.
0: It's not climate the, culture, climate eh, climate culture. I mean, you go into the city and you go to the West Van, you're not getting the same culture you're getting true. in Washington. <laughs> That's a very Lululemoned out Mercedes type <laughs> true, situation. True, true. Um, but uh, yeah, Washington's great. I love the states. They're, uh, it's, there's something different again, about being down there. I know right now, my husband's in Texas um, at the Resiliency Brain Clinic doing some post- concussive stuff, some great work that um, a lot a lot of them do with like uh, NFL and the, the SF community. And so he's down in Texas, and I'm so jealous. Like every time I go down there, I question coming home. Like if I did not have a husband and a child, I'm like, can I just ship you down here? How do we? So while he's there, I'm like, you just let me know, right? You just let me know your thoughts. Let me know your thoughts and feels. You know, just tell me. And he was a super cross racer. So he's traveled throughout the United States and oh
1: yeah.
0: He understands that there's great other places. But again, it's that, you know, leaving leaving the country I served so proudly of and I'm still so proud of, but I'm just not I'm not proud of um the dictator I have. I'm not proud of the the life I have to choose to live and I'm not proud of having to censor myself on social media or on this because I can now go to prison. So you know it's cute. Yeah, they well, also freeze your bank accounts now if you've donated more than twenty five dollars to the um, the GoFundMe for the truckers. They are now coming after every person with more man. than twenty five dollars.
1: Y'all have some crazy uh, different ways of handling things, and the government and security measures are totally different. This is why, like you know, anytime any kind of like Canadian gun argument comes into play, I'm like, <laughs> you don't have a, you don't have the same shit we do no not even close you're not not set up the same way um so like advocating for those rights is even more difficult um oh
0: you don't advocate for gun rights that's cute that's adorable (laughs) we have what we have and that works for us fine you're allowed like nothing at most i'm i'm waiting for like bow and arrows to become to become a thing where they're like (laughs) you can pierce someone's skin with that but instead they're like no words hurt more so like don't um you know. words are more elsewhere. effective. Yeah. Yeah. Words are way more effective. Right. And, it, and, and you guys know, I mean, if you use language, uh, accurately and you use it effectively,
2: you can be pretty lethal with some words. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'll
0: yeah. still
1: take a sword over a pen. No but. shit. Thank you so much. <laughs>
0: I, I put a, a call out me. to like all the, uh, yeah, my Instagram, I'm going a little hard the past couple of weeks. I wouldn't like me right now. If you watch <laughs> my stories, you're just like, this bitch is going crazy, but it's cause I'm over it. And, um, I I'm super vocal about it, but that's, you know, words, words are key. Words are important. Words are the reason change happens. And when your own government says that if you use the word freedom, you are, a far right terrorist, um, it's fucking alarming. It's concerning. It's disgusting. And so I'm, 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 I'm still waiting for my friends in the Americas to come save the rest of us and be like, Hey, um, this, you know, you guys are our hat. And I know we're kind of a crack house right now, but like we just would prefer if like the top half wasn't on fire, if we could just chill out, if we could just give people back our rights and then we'll leave. I mean, I would love for you guys to not invade Ukraine and instead invade Canada. But I'm I'm yet to get individuals to do that for me.
1: John Candy's dead, though, so I don't know who is going to do it. It's
0: well, I'm I'm hopeful He
1: he was the champion of the of the whole movement
0: Listen, from, from the movie, Canadian I need you to, yeah, I know, but I need you to not crush my soul. <laughs> I need you to just like bear down, put your kid on, kick the door open.
1: Who's the next, uh, the next most overweight comedian actor from Canada? Cheeky and fun. No, not from Canada. John Candy wasn't from Canada, was he?
0: Was he? I don't know. From just the, I guess, bacon reference. Um, who oh. else would be a next? Oh, I don't know. I can't talk about people's weight,
1: Zach Galifianakis. <laughs>
0: I'm a woman. I think
2: it's Seth Rogen or something.
0: Seth Rogen, he lives here.
2: Yeah, yeah, he's in Vancouver.
0: He's off making pottery right now. He does a lot of pottery. A
2: ton of pottery.
0: Yeah, he's super on the. So this is what I mean, though. Like, there's so many different ways to look at mental health, and I I know I keep saying that word because it's, but it's really cliche. But when we look at like just healing in general, and we look at making people better and wanting to help people not want to die every day, like writing really is a thing. It is a, it is. it's cathartic. And I don't know if you guys understand maybe why or what you've seen, or you guys can talk to like how you've seen people change and progress because of it. But I, w- I would love to hear your perspective on this.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm actually doing a master of social work as well. Um, okay, cool. So
0: like, I'm the only one who didn't graduate, barely got out of high school. <laughs> high five to me. <laughs> oh, cool,
1: no, I barely, Graduated. We, we both did that also. And then <laughs> then eventually uh, did school. I can I can for sure say Um, I never would have, I probably never would have done any kind of higher education if it weren't for the military. Um, Number one, because I I didn't think uh, that I was capable. Um, And number two, that I didn't think I had the means. Um, I didn't have the means the way that, that everything is set up, you know? Um, But, but no, so that's, I mean, that's me and that's, that's what I'm doing uh, right now um Tyler like and and that's kind of where where all of this plays into is that like you know Tyler's a firefighter I'm I'm trying to be a social worker um you know we we both have like that servant leadership in in our DNA like we we don't really we've tried to do other things and it, and it doesn't work um you know when we're when we're not helping people like it nothing else is really clicking um it looks different sometimes but uh but generally like that's that's how we feel about the entire world so um, but yeah, I mean, as far as like catharsis in writing, I think it is. I think that's, that's one of the things that we're trying to do too, is, is help people differentiate like um, therapy versus uh, different like developmental um, writing habits um, and things like that. So, you know, we run workshops and we've had to like clarify for some people that like, it's not, it's not a therapy group. It may very well be therapeutic to you, but you shouldn't be going there for it. Um, You know, in the same way that like, you shouldn't be getting medical advice on Instagram. Like, you should, you you should pick up some like effective habits. But I mean, you definitely shouldn't like listen to this podcast and be like, Oh, Tyler Kelsey and um, Keith had had some really like good things to say. I'm going to do all those things. Like, and then, (laughs) and then ditch my fucking therapist. Like, don't do that. Like, that's not, that's not effective.
0: We're not advocating for this.
1: (laughs) No, no, no. Just to make that super fucking clear. (laughs) <laughs> um, you know, there, there. Are I feel like you've like,
0: had to say this a few times to some people.
1: I've had to say it to myself, like, okay, well, you know, we so live. I, you go.
2: Yeah, so I was just saying, I can only really speak to my experience as far as like writing being cathartic at, at all. Like, as as much as it's probably helped me, it's also like hurt me because, <laughs> like I said, I've been writing about one moment for <sighs> ten years. It seems like, yeah, and as writing a memoir, like every moment in my life. I try to factor it into is like, hey, is this gonna be part of the narrative? Is this part of the story? How does this relate to other events in my life? Like, where was I as a kid that made me that got me to that moment? Uh, where what have I become since? And so like, this isn't for the faint of heart. You don't want to start writing to get better by any means. Like that's that shouldn't be the only like
1: driving factor of like I want to go write. If well, I think to, there's different styles of it too. Yeah, right? like want, journaling. Journaling, journaling can be yeah. inventories, journaling can be, you know, different, different exercises. It does not all Info have to dump. be.
0: It can yeah. just be.
1: Yes. Yeah. Tyler, Tyler talks about um, one of the, the exercises that, that they did at the PB Abate retreat um, over the summer where they had like 20 minutes to write their story. Right. That, that was the prompt. Oh, wow. Like, 20 minutes, write your story. Right. Things like that. That's different. But like in terms of, you know, it's not. Necessarily therapeutic to write a manuscript, like yo, like writing a book is not sexy. Oh, no, um, not
2: if you can, like, <laughs> a
1: a nice, a nice, like, finished product in your hand, that's sexy for sure. But, like, if you know what goes into it, if you know, like, if I if if we went over like if we had video footage of me and Tyler editing some of his shit we could and do that sometime, no, it'd no. be terrible. That'd uh, be hilarious. Maybe a time though. lapse without audio, yeah, but um. <laughs> everything yeah. is like super like if you know and if me I, just
2: ranting for like 30 minutes to keith about one idea and then it's like all right man i think i got it and then just hanging
1: up <laughs> right yeah if like okay. and i mean because you can go back and forth like oh like what does a newport taste like you know in in the afghan heat and like me arguing that like in in iraq it tasted like this so that that description is actually bullshit because it's pretty much the same climate at this time of year and like but then all of a sudden like turning around and being like, actually it doesn't fucking matter because it detracts from this topic and this, you know, you know what I mean? Like that shit is not like, it's not, not that cool, not sexy. Um, and it's for sure not fucking therapeutic. So like, there are certain things about writing that are very therapeutic, whether you want them, but like, should it just be your therapy? No. Like the, in the same way that like, should you just take medicine? And that'll make no. you better. Fuck. No, that's not That doesn't work like that. That's proven. That's science. That's evidence-based. Mm-hmm. You have to, you have to pair things with other things. And so like just saying like, oh, I'm going to write and then I'll be better. Like not necessarily. And if you don't know like what you're writing and why you're writing it and how to use that, then like, that's not really going to help you either. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think for sure it will make you like a more introspective person. I think it will make you like dig harder at yourself but again, like you have to pair it with some things because sometimes like ripping off those scabs fucking hurts.
0: It's not sexy, but it's useful. And it, it yeah. can be used as a tool. If you're, if you're, like you said, if you know why you're doing it, if there's a purpose, you know, behind everything you do, it will always mm-hmm. yield something successful, productive, um, healing or what have you. But as long as there's a purpose to it, like you said, because again, I, I understand the, I understand the differences of like, Hey, yeah, it's not sex. We should never show that kind of stuff. But I'm like, I kind of show some of that because people don't really understand what it's like to go through and develop something if they've never experienced it or seen it. And so they might not know that that's normal. They may not think that, Hey, going draft after draft after draft is normal. But when you see individuals like you two doing mm-hmm. that, like legitimately on a time-lapse, it gives this type of fly on the wall feel like holy shit this is a different thing this is not what I thought it was and sometimes just articulating that is not enough for people they need to visually see the the pacing and the ranting and the writing on the wall and the whiteboard and they need to see that because that's why so many people I think also are like I tried this I'm not successful at it right away why not it's like
2: you don't what what is yeah, what well, is hard to understand is, is like now getting more into like the business side of things on like the publishing side is people want that quick like results. When mm-hmm. and, and I and Keith's probably tired of this analogy, but I always relate it to the gym and it's like if you want to get better physically, it doesn't take like a short time. You have to get in there and do the work. Writing is the same way. Your mental health is just like your physical health. It is something you have to tend to daily. And so it's a practice. You don't just get better from your past traumas or your past experiences. You continually have to work at it every day, just like you have to roll out your muscles, just like you have to stretch or get in the sauna or whatever. You have to mentally put yourself in that position to want to get better, avoid the triggers, all that good stuff, and then understand, like, hey, I've reacted appropriately to whatever I've experienced. Mm Right. Right.
0: What's the what's the next step for you guys? Like, what do, what am I expecting to see coming out of you know for twenty twenty two? Because how was before you answer that? Sorry, how was COVID throughout all of this with you guys? And um, were you seeing an uptick of, of submissions? Were you seeing a, more of an outpouring?
1: um i I don't know if there was more of an uptick in submissions um i thought about that and and really like we didn't have anything that would move the needle too much but we definitely had some like logistics issues i think like no matter what kind of business you were in for sure logistics were an issue yeah most of our problems were distribution
2: (coughs) uh all of all of our businesses right right now is online so we didn't have to worry about physical uh, other than events we wanted to do more events and we had to kind of figure out ways to skate around that. And we had to do virtual a couple of times and that's not ideal, but uh, this upcoming year, we have a couple physical events that we're wanting to do. We have a workshop that we're wanting to plan uh, this upcoming summer. We have an in-person workshop that we're planning this summer. And then we have the memoir class that we're putting on uh, late spring uh, that we're, re- we're going to be taking submissions for here soon. Um, we have a couple more books coming out. Uh, what else next month we
1: have uh just because i keep your your opinion about vulnerability and like and and showing all sides of it um kelsey like maybe keeps making me think of um the book that we have coming out next month which is mason rodrigues uh he's dead gunner poetry on instagram Mm um and his uh his book rock eater um his poetry collection is a fucking banger but like if if Like I I edited that one and just going through it over and over again, I, um, I continuously said to him that like, it is so vulnerable and not at all what anyone is going to expect from a Marine machine gunner. Um, and like, you know, he puts himself out there. He had a less than favorable, uh, exit from the Marine Corps and he had a hard road from then until now. And he is brutally honest in his poetry about all of that. And it's like, that's the kind of vulnerability and honesty that like other people will try for their whole lives or, or just won't even be able to understand enough to, to even try for it. You know what I mean? Okay. Um, so that's going to be, that's going to be a really good one to kick off um, the new year. We also just put out uh, Amy Sex Hours, uh, Poppies, um, another poetry collection.
2: I saw that. Um,
1: and uh, which again, like that kind of vulnerability Um, and yeah, we've got, we've got a few other projects kicking around, but, um, but Rock Eater is, is the next one either.
0: That's a different, uh, it's a different name.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I don't know why that evokes a certain type of like emotion in me already. Like it doesn't, it's, it's such a different, ah, it's gritty. Uh, yeah, it feels, uh, I see, I, I'm a podcast host. Can you guys believe it?
2: <laughs> oh, <laughs> I've no, also hit my head a lot.
0: So. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Oh, it's bad, but it's true. It's, it's, I, that's why I, you have to, you have to watch the show because most of the time I sit here and I just do body gestures and people have to like, guess what I'm doing, but it's gritty. It is, it's this, it sounds, it has a weight to it already without even opening it up. Yeah. And, and how does he feel about this coming out? Where's his head at? Is he nervous? Is he excited?
1: He is exactly what you have in front of you when you meet him. He, yeah. there, there's no smoke and mirrors. Um, he's a, I love that about him. He's, a, he's, a, he's all real. He, he's as real as it gets.
2: And you see him. He's this big old jack machine gunner. Like <sighs> the, the, the poem Brock Eater, he, he has on his Instagram. And it, it explains the book perfectly. He's just like a brick house and he's ready to get out there, just like anybody who, who puts themselves out all on paper, ready to show the world to see how they receive it. But I think it, uh, one of our other authors explained it perfectly is when they put out a book, they're giving that piece of themselves to everybody else and every person they read it, it's like unloading that baggage and giving it mm-hmm. to others. And I, and I imagine that's kind of how it is. It's just to lighten the load because it's just such a heavy weight when you have something, when you have a project that you're ready to get out to the world. And so I imagine that's how he feels is ready to just lighten the load so he can start focusing on the next thing.
0: Well, that's it, right? It gives the stuff that you guys do in the platform and um, the way that you put out, that you put out books is it gives people an opportunity for a reset. In my opinion, it mm-hmm. gives them a new, it gives them a new plateau point in their life, right? So they've been working on something to work over something they're like, I achieve something and it almost gives them a restart. And that a lot of times I feel like is the key to people being able to move forward is is a catalyst point, something that really just kind of shook them enough. And I'm, I'm super thrilled for that. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna grab that book as soon as I, uh, as soon as I can, because just that, like just the title, again, it, is my face makes my face do those things.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, sorry. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, huh. You know, I can't I can never hide my emotion. I'm really terrible at it. Um, and so it's uh, it's really interesting when when I do these shows with people and I watch their reactions to my <laughs> reactions. <Yeah. laughs> it's it's really fascinating for me. So you guys have plans to put out how many books a year?
1: It will... It will vary for the next, but we're, we're working on, we've, we've worked up from one per quarter. Um, So, but like I said, like it'll vary, like not every year will we have one of those poetry anthologies. So that shakes things up a little bit. And depending on whether we're putting out more poetry or more memoir or things like that um, kind of come into play. But um, I can definitely tell you that we have, we have increased, we're at a dozen books now since we started in 2000 17. Um, and that's, that's a jump. It's more than I ever thought that we would release. Yeah.
0: Where do you, where can everyone get these books? Where can you said everything's online? So what's, uh, what's the step?
1: Yeah. So we stock everything on our website at deadreckoningco.com. Um, but then you can get all of our titles on Amazon, uh, bookshop.org, Barnes and Noble, Target, like pretty much anywhere you can get, uh, get books on, on the internet. Um, but uh, if you, we do have like signed copies and stuff from time to time on our website um, as well as like pre-orders with different like specialty items uh, when, when the book is first released. So um, yeah, with Masons, we have, uh, we have a couple, couple items like that coming out. Um, and then we'll have uh, signed copies up on the website of, of hours book poppies uh, coming up soon. And that's what's uh, always think- fun about
2: doing these projects with the authors is when you most times you know, a book come out, they may do a book release and that's kind of all they get unless they're big name and they have a huge following as it is. Like Keith comes from like the hardcore scene and when albums would drop, t-shirts would come with it and people would buy mm-hmm. them at the concerts mm-hmm. and stuff. And so we, we like doing these bundle packages and stuff because now uh, that piece of uh, that shirt or that sticker or uh, whatever specialty item that came out with that book, like it's a part of history that only... A select few will get, and it's like kind of like if you see it out in the wild, it's like if you know, you know type of things. Oh. So those are always fun. Yeah, I
0: can, I can understand that. I had that moment at a shot show when I watched just like a complete strange American walk by me, and I saw a bracelet, and I was like, I'm such a loser. Yeah. <laughs> I'm such a loser.
1: <laughs>
0: that moment's special. That moment oh, is it's huge is to be acknowledged and to be and to be raved about and it's it's silly it seems silly to others but i think like that's such a brilliant way to market a book as well it's such a it's such a brilliant way to give somebody something else that's tangible that they can they can have they can wear and walk around with and it's like they're that that book is not just a book anymore that gets put on a shelf when you're done with it yeah -hmm.
2: no it's a living breathing thing and well one of I'm st- I still get excited about those, about those things as well. My wife was at Costco. It was maybe like six months to a year ago. And we're still as dead reckoning small enough where I still feel like we're pretty niche just within the veteran community. But she was at Costco and wearing one of our dead reckoning shirts. And a guy walked by and he's like, hey, nice sweatshirt. And she came back and told me. And it's just like, hell yeah, that's awesome. And then another guy that I work with, he's a reservist Marine. And he said he went to uh, uh, staff duty while he was just doing one of his weekend things. And the guy had In Love and War on the, on the table uh, and was reading it, uh,
1: reading it
2: there. So it's yeah. those little moments to just kind of see what we're doing online. Because like I said, most of our stuff's online, out in the real world uh, happening. It's, it's, it's pretty awesome.
0: Well, I can tell you, I mean, like I, I told you before we started the show, again, I wish you are saying it. Like, we had a lot of people recommend you to come on, and we've had a lot of people li- waiting to hear your episode. And I, I text Tear this morning. I said, guess who's coming on? He was like, oh, yeah. Love those guys, and so there's just so much love sweet and support. Sweet, yeah, well, he's a sweet, sweet mustache of a man.
2: He, <laughs> yeah, he is the mustache. He go. is
0: the mustache. I know. I, I'll tell you a story about that later. But he, um, you know, when I said that, you know, it's it's so beautiful to see the response not only from within the community but from without, and the people that really believe in what you're doing, and they see. They see you guys as value and they see you guys as changing a conversation and the, a place for people to feel safe, to bring their work and, and know that it's going to be taken seriously. And like you said, you don't accept everything. There's a reason for that. You guys are a serious publishing house. You guys, you, yes, business is still business and you still need to respect people and, and you still need to, you know, want their books to do well, but you guys, you handle it differently. you. And you handle it because you're part of the community and you come from it and you can understand sensitive subjects that so many can't. And I think there's such, such, such value to you guys being in the publishing world. And I can only see really big things for you moving forward. I, I don't see you guys slowing down. So I'm really sorry in advance for you um, if you thought you didn't think me doing this money, but I can only see it growing exponentially as people start to realize that writing can can help it can heal it can change conversation and and words matter and um so where can everyone find you guys on instagram and social media and all of that
1: uh so websites deadreckoningco.com um you can find out everything that we're doing sign up for our mailing lists Uh, they'll have you know different information that we're not putting out on social media um and then uh we're most active on Instagram, which is just dead reckoning Collective. Uh we have a Twitter that we don't use uh called like DRC Publishing or something.
0: Who's um, Twitter. Twitter. Twitter's super dumb. <laughs> um,
1: and uh, but yeah, no, uh definitely like mailing list, um, which you can sign up for on the website and uh and Instagram is where we put out the bulk of our stuff.
0: Anything mustache.
1: No, that's it. That's it, thank you. You like okay, your name.
2: Keith.
0: Well, cool. Well, you stick with me, but to everyone else, we'll make sure to tag everything in the bio and give you all the options to either learn how to submit, how to learn, how to write, do one of their workshops, follow them on social media. Either way, they are a great follow. And um, thank you guys for doing so much for our community and being a part of it, because I think you're really helping. You really are. So hey, I will, so much, uh, no worries guys, you guys thank stick you. with me. Everyone else will talk to you all next week.